0: Certainly we do appreciate the presence of uh, everyone. We do have visitors, and uh, certainly we're delighted that you are here. We're so delighted. I was so delighted to get a call from my dear friend Mike Frost yesterday saying they were going to visit with us today. I could stand here a long time and talk for a long time about how special these people are to us, Mike and Melissa and their children and the Gilreath family, of course, Melissa being the younger daughter of... uh, of Barry Sr., and uh, Ron mentioned the uh, get-together next uh, Sunday night. We're looking forward to that, 1,000 programs, and of course uh, that program began because of Barry Gilbreath Sr. It was his brainchild, his idea, and uh, was implemented initially with GBN, and uh, we'll say a few words next Sunday night about a little bit of the history, more of the history of the program, but uh, 1,000 is a milestone that we're thankful to have reached, and uh, Ron mentioned uh, Thousand more or beyond, and certainly we hope that'll be the case now. It might be a different host uh, if you get to another thousand because that first thousand was reached because for the most part much of the time we were doing six new ones every week, and uh, six a week will get you to a thousand quicker than one a week will so uh, so by the time we hit the next thousand, it may be someone else i don 't know i, I hadn 't figured that up how long i 'd have to live <laughs> but uh, but uh, we uh, we love Mike and Melissa and uh, uh, Alex and Avery and Mallory, their three children, and uh, the Gilreath family. Uh, just words cannot express, uh, obviously, uh, how deeply we feel about uh, these good people. But uh, we um, are glad that all of you are here today and uh, appreciate Brian and all he does for us and filling in, leading, singing today. Bobby and them are out, and Brian leads from time to time anyway. but. Uh, appreciate all that uh, Brian does in our Good News Today production as well, and others, Jerry and Tom, Tom and Jerry, I should say, not Jerry and Tom, Tom and Jerry. They're known as Tom and Jerry, <laughs> and uh, and uh, we appreciate uh, them and Tommy and Leslie, of course, too. We are greatly blessed here at White Oak to have elders who have great vision and um, who have uh, taken the Good News Today program and other good works and. Help to move them forward, and uh, our Bible correspondence course program with Tommy and Joe Weir and Marty, who have uh, worked so diligently and continue to in that and we've seen great results from that we're just greatly blessed and excited. I uh, hope you got your first newsletter from good news today we as of this year we are uh, publishing our own newsletter. We were putting reports in the good news to i mean in the uh, good news bulletin the the church bulletin from time to time to keep supporters aware of our financial situation and report, as we obviously should do, and to bring news, but uh, the elders approved a quarterly publication, beginning uh, with a quarterly publication of our own separate newsletter now, and that first one went out uh, this week. We got ours, and I know others uh, uh, have gotten theirs, I'm sure, by now, and uh, about we sent out a thousand of those initially, so we hope to see that list grow. and um, and to see it produce uh, results as more and more people, Christians learn about the work, support the work, and enable us to expand the work into uh, many other television uh, markets. So uh, we appreciate your prayers and your support. So many of you uh, have been so um, supportive in so many ways, and we appreciate that very much. Last week we began a two-part study from uh, a great, great incident in the Old Testament that incident recorded in Exodus chapter 14 and also chapter 15 as we'll look at chapter 15 uh, today, but before we do that, we need to go back and just briefly review the events leading up to chapter 15 from chapter 14. Of course, the key verse in chapter 14 is at verse 13. Moses said to the people, do not be afraid, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. And of course this was in reference to the greatest deliverance prior to Calvary that has ever been effected, the deliverance at the Red Sea, the crossing of the Red Sea. And the events that led up to it and uh, were involved in it begin there in chapter 14 as we said the first four verses depicted the desperation and the dependence of God's people upon Him as they left Egypt and that they were camped there before the sea as God had instructed them to do, and they were in a situation that made them appear to be completely trapped as Pharaoh's armies pursued. But we said that God brought them to that point, had a purpose in directing them to that place, so that they would know that their deliverance was from God. And then we looked at the determination of Pharaoh to follow them in verses 5 through 9. The hardening of Pharaoh's heart, illustrating the hardening effect that the gospel can have on hearts that are not receptive to it as people harden their hearts against the truth. And then following that desperation and dependence and that determination of Pharaoh, we looked at the disbelief of God's people in verses 10 through 12 as they began to murmur and cry out in disbelief, thinking that they were about to perish. The psalmist, remember, said, Our fathers understood not thy wonders in Egypt. They had seen everything that had taken place in Egypt and yet it had not made the impression that it should have made and now thinking they were trapped rather than hearkening back to the deliverance that was brought about in their lives time and time again in Egypt as those plagues affected the Egyptians and did not affect them, they thought, here we are, about to die. But then we see the demonstration of Moses' courage in verses 13 and 14 where he says stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. And in verse 14 the Lord will fight for you and he says you shall hold your peace. Moses had courage. Moses had gotten the message that the people should have gotten. Moses had gotten the message concerning the magnitude of God's power. And then in verses 15 through 18 the directions for deliverance are seen. The Israelites would have to go forward by faith. And as we pointed out, the Lord delivers by his grace, but man must respond through a forward moving faith. That was true then, it is true now. The principle has not changed. Salvation is by grace through obedient faith. And Hebrews eleven twenty nine tells us concerning this incident by faith they pass through the Red Sea. How did they pass through? By walking through. They did it by faith. And then in verses 19 through 29 of chapter 14, we see the destruction and the deliverance. The destruction of the Egyptians and the deliverance of God's people. As God used the pillar of the cloud to illuminate the Israelites and to intimidate the Egyptians and then ultimately brought the Egyptians to their ultimate and final doom, as God said, you will see them no more through Moses. You'll see your enemies no more. And then in the last two verses, as we looked at last week, verses 30 and 31 of chapter 14, we see the dedication of God's people. So the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Thus Israel saw the great work which the Lord had done in Egypt. So the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and His servant Moses. So here we are. They are now dedicated. The miracle served its purpose. About a hundred times, as we mentioned last week, this incident, this deliverance is mentioned in Scripture. And it's one of the great indications of God's power then, but those recorded miracles, Old Testament and new, are, desired, are designed to produce the desired response in us, and that is an obedient faith. Many other signs, remember, John wrote, truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Now they have the knowledge of salvation. It is a reality. They are standing on the shore on the other side of the Red Sea and they are looking back on their enemies as their corpses actually wash up on the shore. And the knowledge of salvation produces what the knowledge of salvation should produce in us. It produced in them peace and joy. And now we're ready for chapter 15 today. The joy of the song sung by the Israelites. And so as we continue through this incident, we say now, after the dedication of God's people in the last two verses of chapter 14, now in chapter 15, the first 21 verses, we see that delight follows deliverance. Delight follows deliverance. And their joy their delight was expressed in the Song of Moses. It's, a, it's called the Song of Moses. It's alluded to in Revelation 15 and verse 3. And notice verse 2 of this chapter. The Lord is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him. The Lord's habitation is the heart of the forgiven sinner. That's where he is. He lives in the heart of the forgiven sinner and the logical response to deliverance is not only exhilaration, sheer exhilaration, but it is also exaltation of God. Exhilaration on our part that leads us to exalt the God who delivered us through Jesus Christ and to exalt him not only by lip but by Life by the life that we live for Him. Verse 11 of this 15th chapter, if you look over at that, it says, "Who is like you, O Lord? Among the gods, who is like you, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders. Oh yes, they've gotten the message now, and they can ask, and they do ask, "Who is like you? Who is? like you. And gratitude for God's guidance is the theme of verse 13 of this 15th chapter. Look at it. You in your mercy have led forth the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them in your strength to your holy habitation. What do we see here? I think we see the great principle of God's providence expressed here. It's much like what we can read in one of the great psalms. In Psalm 107, verses 5 through 7. The psalmist there writes, Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted in them. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and He delivered them out of their distresses, and He led them forth by the right way that they might go to a city for a dwelling place. Very similar expression to the one we've just seen in Exodus 15, 13. Guided them in your strength to your holy habitation. And the verses that follow verse 13 of chapter 15, verses 14 through 18 are rather ironic. In light of Israel's later cowardly reaction to the report of the 12 spies, as we read about that in Numbers 13 and 14. You remember how, how God's people, with the exception of Joshua and Caleb, how those spies reacted and how the people reacted to the report of the ten and did not heed the favorable and optimistic report of Joshua and Caleb saying we can take the land. Well, listen to what the people now, these same people now, just on the other side of the Red Sea, are saying about their God in light of what they will say later on. Verse 14 beginning, the people will hear and be afraid. The people, that's what they're saying, the people who will hear about what has just happened here today, they will hear about it and they will be afraid. Sorrow will take hold of the inhabitants of Philistia. Then the chiefs of Edom will be dismayed. The mighty men of Moab, trembling will take hold of them. All the inhabitants of Canaan will melt away. Fear and dread will fall on them. By the greatness of your arm, they will be as still as a stone till your people pass over, O Lord, till the people pass over whom you have purchased. You will bring them in and plant them in the mountain of your inheritance, in the place, O Lord, which you have made for your own dwelling, the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. The Lord shall reign forever and ever. Think about that. Think about those words, what they are saying. We're on our way to the promised land, they're saying, and who can stop us? People will actually melt away in front of us as we go into that land because they will hear of this great deliverance and fear will take hold of them. Tragically, these same people who expressed these thoughts at this time would later suffer from the grasshopper complex. Oh... We can't take this land, they will later say. We're like grasshoppers in the sight of these people. They're giants in that land. We can't do that. How tragic. How ironic considering what they are saying here on the other side of the Red Sea. We should learn from that mistake, shouldn't we? When it comes to our attitude toward what we can do with God's help and God's blessing in His kingdom, in the church of our Lord, we should learn from the mistakes of His people of old. Paul wanted us to, and in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, he cites some of these Old Testament examples of disobedience and said, don't follow after that same example of disobedience. Be filled with faith. Be filled with courage. Oh, if they had maintained that faith that they had right here, as it's revealed in verses 17 and 18. And then in verse 21, we see the women joining in the exultation at the urging of Miriam. Miriam answered them, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and its rider He has thrown into the sea. Delight follows deliverance. That's the way it should be today. Delight follows the greatest deliverance that one could even possibly contemplate the deliverance from sin and from the clutches of Satan. That's where we are. That's how we've been delivered if we are Christians today. And delight should follow that deliverance and delight should not be short-lived as it was in the case of these people here. We must make sure that that delight brings dedication. A dedication that endures and that even grows. But what we see next... Among these people is delight turning to discontent. Look at verses 22 through 24 of Exodus 15. So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea. Then they went out into the wilderness of Shur. And they went three days into the wilderness and found no water. Now when they came to Marah, they could not drink the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore the name of it was called Marah, literally bitter, And the people complained against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? What should they have said? This water's bitter, but we're sure God's going to take care of that. He'll provide. After all, we just crossed the Red Sea not that many days ago. And look what he did there. Don't you think he can provide water for us now? But that was not the attitude. That was not the attitude. It's difficult, isn't it, to believe the change in Israel between the Red Sea and the wilderness of Shur? Could God who parted the waters not provide water to drink? Could He who turned the bitter servitude of Egypt into the sweet song of salvation not turn bitter waters into sweet waters? Why didn't they think in those terms? Well, right here, God certainly could have severely punished his people, couldn't he? He could have said, that's it. I've had enough. I've shown you plenty. You haven't reacted properly. I've had enough. But instead, he showed patience. He showed patience in response to the inquiry of Moses here on behalf of the people. And so in verses 25 and 26, we see directions for the delivered. So he cried out, Moses, to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. When he cast it into the waters, the waters were made sweet. There he made a statute and an ordinance for them, and there he tested them and said, If you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight, give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you which I have brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. I am the Lord who heals you. What a statement. God here reminded the Israelites of his providence, but he also proved them through a statute and an ordinance that he established for them. To see, would they be obedient or not? And notice the conditional nature of the statute. It's conditional. I'll do these things, but you're going to have to keep my will. God saves and blesses those who love him and keep. His commandments. And as God had earlier given directions for deliverance, He now sets forth His directions for those who have been delivered. And the same requirement of continued obedience that He required of them here, that same requirement of continual obedience applies to those of us who have been delivered through the gospel. We're to be continually obedient. I am the Lord, He said. I am the Lord that healeth thee. Shouldn't that remind us of the great physician, Jesus the Christ? He heals us of the burden of sin. And then finally, we see the destination of the delivered in the last verse of this chapter. Verse 27. Then they came to Elam, where there were twelve wells of water and seventy palm trees. So they camped there by the waters. This final verse describes the destination of those whom God had delivered. Now this was not their final destination, but it is a reminder, based on how it's described here, of God's provision for the redeemed. Because verse 27 is a picture of plenty, isn't it? Listen to it again. Then, then they came to Elam where there were 12 wells of water and 70 palm trees. It's an oasis, isn't it, that's pictured here. So they camped there by the waters. That's a pretty picture, isn't it? That's a peaceful picture. That's a picture of provision. And it reminds us of the spiritual blessings that we now enjoy in Jesus Christ. Oh, far greater blessings than 12 wells of water and 70 palm trees. That would simply be typical of of the, the indescribable blessings that we enjoy now. And oh yes, they had just encountered some bitter water that caused them to complain in disbelief, tragically. And God may prove us at times, with bitter waters. But He does provide the faithful during all of that time with the living water that comes through this all-sufficient, all-powerful Word. The living water, the sweet fruit of the Spirit to take us through the times of trouble and hardship all here in the all-sufficient word of God. Israel was God's special possession. He prepared them for the promised land by proving them in the wilderness. But they failed the test. They became bitter and not better as a result of their experiences. And they failed to see God's goodness and thus they fell in the wilderness. What about us? What about you this morning? Have you failed to see God's goodness? You have if you're not a Christian this morning because surely if you had truly seen the goodness of God you would respond to that goodness as He intends for you to respond. He has shown you everything He could possibly show you to motivate you to respond to His goodness and love By loving him in return and manifesting that love through obedience to the gospel of his dear son. There's a question back in Isaiah 5 and verse 4. We've looked at it before. In a parable there of a vineyard and the identification of that vineyard as being God's people of old. God asks a question in verse 4 of Isaiah 5. What more could have done in my vineyard than I have not done in it? What more could have been done? in my vineyard that I have not done. And so when he looked for obedience and got rebellion, what a disappointment that was. That's a sobering question, but how much more sobering that question is to those of us living today where we have access to the vineyard, which is the church, the kingdom of God. What more could God have done to motivate man to respond by gratitude and love to His goodness and grace manifested to us in the giving of His only begotten Son. What more could He have done than to give the darling of His bosom that we might respond to that gift by giving ourselves to Him in obedience to His will? You do that by believing that he is the Christ, by repenting of your sins, confessing him to be the Christ, and being buried in baptism for the remission of sins. Those are essential requirements to respond to the love of God. Believe that I am he or die in your sins. Repent or perish, Jesus said. Confess me and I'll confess you. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. And then the delight that follows that deliverance is to be a delight that manifests itself in dedication and devotion in the kingdom to which you're added, the church of our Lord for the remaining days of your life. It may be that there's someone here today who has known that delight, the delight that follows that deliverance, but you have not continued to live in accordance with that delight and manifesting that delight through your devotion, and you need to come home to your first love. We plead with you, if that is your need, to repent, to confess any sin that's public in nature in that same public way, to say, I have sinned, pray for me, pray with me, and we'll do that, with a full assurance that if we truly repent, God does forgive because God is good. But God is just. And sin will not go unpunished. But thanks be to God, He's made possible the way out of that sin and the punishment that follows it in the giving of His only begotten Son. Will you respond to that gift this morning as we stand to sing?